while they, while they do that, I'm just, don't even worry about that video. I want to do something a little different. Is that okay? We just do something a little different this morning? Um, what I want to do is this. I guess as I was just singing and I was just thinking, and we were, like, I mean, like we're singing about how God's in control of everything. We're singing about how God um, rules and reigns. And just the lyrics on the screen um, is more than just words on a screen. And so I want us to do something a little different this morning as we start. Um, and, and as I read... As I read the list this morning of prayer requests, um, and I said in my prayer, but I always want to be very sensitive to it, the fact that those are, are people that you know or that I know or that we do life with week in and week out. And so I just, I want to, I want to just pray for a moment. I feel like we just need to pray. Um, and I'm not going to apologize for that. So I just, I just want to be very sensitive as the Spirit leads us and as the Spirit uh, moves amongst us. And so this is what I want us to do. It may be weird, and, and I'm, I'm not, again, I'm not going to apologize for that. It, it, it may not. I don't know. But um, what I want to do is this, is I just want us to spend a moment praying. But I want to ask if you, as you see through Scripture, you'll see people stand in the gap for people. Um, and and last, last year as we walked through the book of Exodus, I mean, that's exactly what Moses was. Moses stood in the gap for his people. Um, and so I'm just going to ask in this moment if if you would, or if you felt, feel led, maybe a name on that list, and we're not gonna name them again, we're, not gonna, we're just gonna pray. And so I'm gonna ask if you maybe feel led to kind of stand in the gap for someone else, if, if you would just stand on their behalf this morning, kind of as a representative for them, and, and let's just spend a few moments praying. And I'm just gonna ask, if, if right now, just in this kind of moment, if, if you feel led to maybe stand for somebody on that list, or something in your life going on, or something that you know of, if, if you would just, right here in this moment, just stand, and we're gonna pray. Um, I'm just give a second, let you... Because there's hurt, and, and, I, and I know that, and I want to be sensitive to that. Um, and so, like I said, real people with real hurts, with real hang-ups, with real struggles, with real, real stuff. And so, it's messy, and it hurts, and I just want to be sensitive to that. And I just want to ask God this morning to just move. Um, so, I'm going to ask you if you'd join us pray. Father God, we just stop. And God, we don't want to be so planned out. God, we don't want to be... So we've got to get done that, that we miss just, God, you're leading. And so, God, thank you for making me sensitive. God, thank you for, God, just allow me to feel the move this morning of your presence in this place. And, and God, from the songs that we have sung, God, from the time that we have shared so far in this place, in your presence, Lord, I just pray, God, this morning that you'd move. Oh, God, the people that are standing in this place, God, maybe even the people that, that couldn't even bring themselves to stand this morning, God, the hurt that we have. That's a long list that we've got of people, God, that are your people that are hurting, God, those that you've created. And God, we know cancer comes as a result of the fall. We know sickness comes as a result of sin. We know all of those. We know all of that stuff, God, but it doesn't, it doesn't remove the fact that we hurt, that we question that we feel pain. And so God, I just pray this morning in this place that your presence would ever cover us. God, that your presence would ever fill this place. And God, that you would ever wrap your arms around those standing in the gap this morning. God, they stand because someone's not here to be able to stand. And so Lord, I pray, God, in this moment that you would move for your glory, for your honor. God, understanding that everything looks different, everything feels different, everything is different on the other side of eternity. So God, I just pray this morning as these men and women stand in the gap, God, that you would heal, that you would move, that you would bring peace, God, that you'd bring comfort. God, we thank you so much that we've got a heavenly Father that we can run to. So God, I pray this morning, Daddy, that you would just wrap your arms around us. 
Daddy, that you would pull us close. Daddy, that we would get to hear from you this morning, God. Daddy, that you would, that you would heal in this place, that you would move in this place. Jesus, thank you for a church that we can come and we can care for one another and we can love on each other, that we can be serious about being your people and being about what you've called us to be about. God, even to the point of where we're gonna care for one another. God, we're gonna be sensitive and we're gonna care and love one another like you've called us to. So Jesus, we pray for healing, we pray for comfort, we pray for peace. Shalom, we pray. Amen. Um, kind of give you a, a heads up of where we're going to be heading um, over the next six, seven weeks. Um, the book of Acts is kind of divided up into two different parts. The first part, you've got your primary character or kind of lead role uh, being that of Peter. Peter steps up and he's kind of the face of the church to begin with. And so uh, the game plan is this. This Sunday and then next Sunday, uh, we'll finish up the first part of the book of Acts, which will get a, gets us right up to chapter eight. And then after that, you're gonna see um, a, a little break. We're gonna take a, a little break for Christmas and. Um, we will uh, spend December kind of preparing uh, and getting ready, just asking God to prepare us for what he has for us during the Chris Christmas season, during the Advent season. And so what'll happen um, is this, we've got uh, the, the first Sunday of that month, like I said, we're going to have our holiday meal. Um, and we don't call it a holiday meal because we're trying to get Christ out of Christmas. No, it's just sandwiched between uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas. And so we, we just kind of combine those. And so we just call them holiday meal. Not, we're not like trying to be politically correct. That's not it. It's just, it just it's, it's a holiday. It's a good holiday. So we're gonna eat. That's what we do. So we'll get together. We're gonna celebrate Thanksgiving and Christmas all in one setting. And so that'll happen um, our first Sunday in December um, as we're kind of on this little break from Acts. And so then the next Sunday, and, and I, I want to tell you, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be happening in this place the next Sunday because what's going to happen the second Sunday, which I believe is the ninth, is we've got our children that are going to come in here and they're going to lead us in worship and they have got um, their program that they've been working on and they're going to lead us and they're, we're going to celebrate with them and we're going to lift them up and um, man, we're just going to, we're, we're just going to go crazy for them being in here leading us and uh, doing their thing up here. And so that'll be the second um, Sunday. And then the, the next two Sundays, we're going to have more of a focused time around the word, around uh, what Christmas is and kind of point us in that direction. And then the last Sunday uh, in, in December, and then we'll, we'll jump back into the book of Acts. And so that kind of gives us a, a heads up of what's coming over the next six, seven weeks. Uh, also get you a little reading plan out there uh, in the next couple weeks for the book of Acts. So you can kind of just follow along and stay with us where we're going to be from week to week. Um, uh, but then, like I said, then after that break, we'll, we'll jump right back into the book of Acts and continue to, to follow and see what God did in his church and he's continuing to do. And so uh, this morning, if you have your Bible, if you go ahead and grab those, uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 7. Excuse me. So as you're turning there, as you're kind of getting, getting to that place, Acts 7, 1, um, we're going to actually go from verses 1 to 53. And so I know the panic in the room sets in whenever I say there's 53 verses and I've spoken like eight verses last week and we went, we went about like, I'm gonna be generous and say 35 minutes. And it was probably more like 40, 45. So I know there's panic. And so with that, I always wanna alleviate that panic. And so uh, just kind of just give you a head up, heads up, my plan is gonna be to kind of guide us through that. We're, I just believe that's too much for us to try to, to read and work through um, in all in one setting. And so 
I'm just going to try to navigate this morning uh, some of the things that Stephen has said, some of the things that Stephen uh, does uh, in the scriptures this morning. So uh, some of it will be on the screen. You'll see I'll, I'll make reference and point to it. Uh, but like I said, I'm just going to kind of guide us through that. Um, and so last week, to kind of catch us up, we looked at this character, Stephen, who kind of uh, makes his first interest, entrance into the, uh, the church. Um, we, we see him step up in a big way with the church going forward in, in world evangelism, uh, getting the gospel out there. And so uh, very Baptist message last week. Um, so we, I had three points, no poem, but three points as we looked at, and they were all like matching too. And I didn't get like one like, yeah, that a boy, like, come on now. Um, uh, so, but very Baptist. And so like I said, last week we talked about Stephen's character, his courage, his countenance. This week, not so much that, but um, uh, we're gonna, like I said, t- tackle 53 verses. But we looked at that in depth about what that meant. And so we saw that the scriptures described uh, Stephen as uh, a man full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and full there means to be filled up with, and so he's filled up with, with the Holy Spirit, with God's Spirit in him, with uh, a man of faith, and then uh, verse eight, it says that he is a man full of grace and power, so filled up with grace and, and God's power, which links it back to uh, more than likely he was performing and doing some of the miracles that we see the apostles do uh, at, at, the, at the early church, and uh, verse 10, it even says this, and I mean, he was just a brilliant man of God. Verse 10 said something like this. It uh, says that his opponents could not resist the wisdom and spirit which he spoke. And so uh, we, just, we just see God moving and working through him. And so after he was arrested, verse 15 says that his face was like that of an angel, which just uh, makes light of his, his countenance, just how he presented himself, how he handled himself in difficult situations. And so uh, maybe uh, in spite of or, or because of all of this, the response to him was very, very vicious. The council this time could not stand him, and I, I believe we're going to find out why. As in verse uh, 6, 614, it says this, that we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth, which shows contempt toward Jesus, they couldn't stand Jesus. And so they couldn't stand any, anyone or anything connected to Jesus, and Stephen was very connected to Jesus. And so uh, they say it in that regard. They say, because we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will do this, destroy this place, which Jesus never said that he was going to destroy that place. The temple that he was referring to destroying and building back in three days was his body. So they take that out of context. And next they go on to say that this Jesus of Nazareth will change the customs which Moses delivered to us. That Stephen was saying that Jesus said that, which again, Jesus never said that. Jesus never said that he would do away with them. He just fulfilled them. And so, uh, so they jump on him for that. That's two of their big claims. And earlier in verse 11, he'd been accused of speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. And so Stephen's on trial for opposing Moses and his customs and God and the temple. And so what we're gonna see happen right off in the very beginning here in Acts 7-1, you have the high priest and he gives Stephen a chance to, to answer some of these claims, to answer uh, uh, himself. And so he asks him, is this so? So pretty much he's saying, Stephen, is, is this true? Is what they're bringing against you, is, is that right? Is this what you've done? Is this what you've said? Is this what's happened? And Stephen does kind of this strange thing. He does this weird, weird thing because like if, if it's me, like I'm, I'm, I'm standing up saying no. But Stephen doesn't do that. Stephen handles it a little bit different. And what he does is he starts to tell a story. And so Stephen tells the story of the history of Israel. So he starts with, Abraham in the beginning in verses one through eight, and he tells about the story of Abraham, which what this would do in their heart is this, this would make them very proud. The council at this time, it would make them very proud because they were, they were big on prestige, they were big on heritage, they were big on where they've come from, and so he starts to tell them about their history, and I could just imagine them kind of just puffing their chest out and being very proud over this, and so he tells them about Abraham in verses one through eight, and then he moves on to 
Joseph in verses nine through 16 and how, how the Israelites came to Egypt, how they got to Egypt. <clears throat> then he spends a bulk of his time talking about Moses in verses 17 through 44 and he kind of outlines a little bit about Moses and, and what God had done in him and, and things like that. And then he closes with a brief reference of Joshua, David, and, and Solomon in verses 45 through 50. And, and then he gives his final statements. And, and look at what he says in verse 751. This is what Stephen tells them after he's kind of given them their history lesson, which they would have already known, they'd have been well familiar with. He says this in 751. He says, you stiff-necked people. I mean, he, he goes at it. Like, he doesn't hold back. I mean, he just, I don't know about you. I've never been called stiff-necked before, but I can imagine those are probably fighting words, you know? I mean, I mean he just goes right at them after, after kind of setting them up and, um, and sharing with them all the things that they already knew to be true and so great about their people. He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. And then he lets them know the big issue, the big problem. He says, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Verse 52 says, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the laws delivered by angels, but you didn't even keep it. So Stephen's charged with speaking against Moses, speaking against the law, against God, <clears throat> against the temple, and his defense is that Israel had stiffened their neck against God and resisted the Holy Spirit. He doesn't even really address the claims that, that, that have come against him. He, he instead goes right to the heart of the matter. He tells them that it's, that it's you that persecuted the prophets of God. It's you that killed Jesus, the son of God. It, you're guilty of that. You did that. You are the ones that need to give an account, not me. You're on trial for this. Not, it's not me. I'm not the one guilty of these things. You're the one. Stephen says that Israel always resists the Holy Spirit, the moving of God. And so what that means is that God's been working. God, God's been moving in Israel again and again and again and again. And he's done so with repeated acts of mercy, grace, patience, long-suffering, all throughout their history. I mean, that's just the heart behind God. That's his character. That's his nature. That of patience, mercy, long-suffering. And do we not want a God like that? Is that not a law? I mean, church, we should celebrate in that reality the fact that God is long-suffering and God is patient. When we mess up, he doesn't just zap us and that's it, but that, that he's long-suffering, that he comes alongside and that he, that he longs and, and wants to restore. And so God had been doing all of that throughout their history, patience, long-suffering. But that would also imply that they had repeatedly hardened their hearts they had repeatedly stiffened their necks and refused to, to hear the work of God. That they've allowed their hearts to get hardened by the fact and reality of who God is and what he's been doing. And so I just got two things I just wanna just talk about before we really jump in this morning, two thoughts before we just continue. Is, is one is this, is that God is patient and long-suffering with the rebellious people. That God is patient and long-suffering with the rebellious people. Now, that's not a big quality in our culture, in our world today, is it? Unless we're the ones that have been found guilty. Unless we're the ones that are in trouble. Unless we're the ones in need of patience given to us or long-suffering given to us. Not, not qualities we really celebrate that much. Oh, that guy, he's long-suffering. No, no, he's just weak is what we say. Oh, that guy, he, he's such a patient guy. Why are you going to celebrate 
you're not first, you're last, right? Like it's one of those things. That's kind of the culture, that's kind of the world we're living in. That's the place where we are. If you're not leading the pack, if you're not out in front, if you're not strong and, 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 and strong-willed and, and dominant, then you're weak and of no use and no good. But that's not the case at all when it comes to God. And thank God that he's patient and long-suffering because the reality is this church is we're the people that need the patience and we're the people that need the long-suffering. Uh, Exodus 34, six through seven tells it like this, that he is slow to anger, he's abounding in steadfast love and forgiveness of iniquity and transgression and sin. I mean, let that sink in for a moment. God is described as slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He forgives iniquity, he forgives sin. Let that just sink in because that's, that's where every one of us was at at one time in our life. And maybe even this morning in this place, that's where we're at. You're at wicked, sinful. Uh, the scriptures would describe you as an enemy of God. But how does he respond to that? How does the gospel take that up? Well, he shows mercy. He shows grace. He's not eager to punish. No, 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 no. God is eager to pursue and forgive. God is eager to pursue and forgive. And that reality should humble us and, and allow us to burn red heart for the reality that we need to get the gospel out there, that we need to get the word of God out there. I mean, have you ever thought about the gospel? Have you thought about what it means? Have you thought about it? We're the stiff-necked, rebellious people. I know in the story, we like to go the other way and we like to ride on the horse off into the sunset and we like to be the star of the show, but that's not the case, church. No, 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 we're the rebellious, stiff-necked people that Stephen is talking about. And God being patient and long-suffering, that's the beautiful news of the gospel. It's his patience and long-suffering. I mean, I mean, think about the gospel for a minute. The gospel is something that we should never get over. We should never move away from. I mean, think about, really think about it. I mean, who would give their kid up for someone else to die for someone else? And I'm not, okay, I'm not talking about like your best buddy or like a good cousin. I'm not, no, I'm talking about, you think of the worst person you can think of. You think of the most heinous crimes that they could commit. You think about the things that just, just would, would, would a, just appall you for a moment. We're not talking about dying for somebody that you can kind of stand. We're talking about dying for somebody that you had nothing to do with. See, that's the beautiful news of the gospel. God sends his son to die for those kind of people. Which again, the great news and reality of the gospel and what we've learned about as we've looked through the book of Acts is, is that that's what the gospel does. It outs us as those people, the, the deplorable, horrific, horrendous, uh, wicked and sinful people and God sends his son to die for those people. I think the thing that just blows my mind is the fact that he comes at us after us not at our best, but at our worst. Like, like you get that this morning, right? You can't like go clean yourself up enough to try to get into his presence to, okay, now you can save me, God, I'm here. No, it doesn't work like that. No, you see yourself for how wicked and horrible you are, and in that, you, 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 you throw yourself at him. You abandon yourself at him. You say, no, I, I need you. I, I can't clean myself up enough. I can't be good enough. Like in the Old Testament, it's described like this, that, that your acts of righteousness, your own self-righteousness is as filthy rags. That on your best day, they're still as filthy rags. And I'm not going to get into the, to the, uh, the breakdown of what those filthy rags are, but, but they're just uh, horrific and deplorable is what they are. And he says, your righteousness on your own, that's where you're at. 
That's the good news of the gospel. And to think that God is long-suffering and patient with the rebellious people coming after, wanting to save and rescue. The second thought that I think of as I've kind of read and looked at this is that as patient and as long-suffering as God is, that eventually runs out. God's finally like, okay, you wanna go that way? Go that way. God loves you enough to let you, I guess is a way to say it. See, there's a resistance to the Holy Spirit that goes so long and so far that God finally just hands the person over. We see it in Acts 7, 42, where it says, God turned and gave them over to worship the host of heaven. The guy says, okay, fine, you wanna go that way? You wanna worship, you wanna run after that? Then here, go. So we need to understand this morning, church, that we can resist him so long and want other things so much more than we want him that he finally turns away, that he finally says, fine, that he finally stops convicting, that he finally stops giving gracious feelings of guilt and he hands us over to our sin. That's what Romans 1, 24, 26, and 28 tells us. That he finally says, hey, you wanna run after the creation over the creator? Then fine, run after it. See where that gets you. See, that's why I'm always gonna proclaim the gospel in this place. That's why we're always gonna center around the fact of what the gospel is and what the gospel says about us and for us and to us. The fact that in that state, when we were rebellious, we wanted our own thing. We were running after our own thing. That God still gloriously stepped down and says, no, 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 I'm, I'm coming after you. I'm not giving up, I'm not letting you go. I'm running after you because I'm patient and I'm long-suffering. But the thing that we better be careful of is not to become inoculated to the gospel. And what I mean by inoculated to the gospel is simply this, is because we are good Southern people, because we do go to church, because that's the right and good thing to do this morning on a Sunday morning. And I know I'll give you kudos. I mean, we're the early service, right? We only have one service, but we're the early service. And you've braved the elements on this horrendous day at nine o'clock in the morning to get here you fought through the 40 degree weather, half sunny, kind of maybe not, because it's still kind of whatever out there to get here. And as cute and as good and as right as that should be for us to, to be here, my question is what's your motive and what's your heart? Because what happens is we become so inoculated and mean, I mean so used to the gospel that this is what we're supposed to do that we miss the heart behind while we even do what we do. I mean, your attendance is wanted and it should be and that's great and I, I want this place to be full but my, my bigger question is, what's the motive of your heart to even be here? Is it to catch up on the latest gossip? Is it so you can see and show off your new outfit? I, I mean, is it so you can uh, be seen or so you can uh, uh, find out stuff or so you can talk to people or so you can fellowship or so you can have that great coffee out there in the lobby? That was a joke. <laughs> I made it, so. But you know what I'm saying? Like, what's the heart? And if you're coming for the coffee, man, I, I could point you in some much better places. But our hope this morning in this place is that you're coming for Jesus. I don't care who, like, I care who else is here, but I don't really care who, like, I prayed this morning with our team before we came out here. And, and as I pray, I'm just thinking, man, we don't do this for anybody else in the room. That's what I love about these guys. Like, he was talking, like, like look, where are they at now? They're at another church worshiping, and not a church that we'd probably ever darken the doorsteps at, let's just be honest. It's a church downtown for a lot of homeless people, for a lot of abandoned people, for a lot of addicted, drug-addicted people. We, we don't mess with that kind of stuff, do we? No, no we're, we're much more dignified than that. So for us to, I'm, I'm just on something this morning. I'm just, we're just gonna follow this, okay? So, so we're, we're my, we're, we're, we're just, we don't do that. And the fact that this, this group here, and that's what I loved what you said, it's more than just them up here playing and singing. It's like when they do that, and I loved your holy hop, like I just, you holy hop till you can't hop anymore, man. Like, I love that because it's like they're playing to an empty room or a room of one and it's Jesus. That's all that matters to them. 
They don't care if they hit a chord right or not right or sing right or not sing right. Their heart is to please the one that really matters and it's not a person in this room. It's not a pastor in this room. The one that, my opinion don't matter. The only opinion that matters in this place when we leave is that of God. I mean, that's the heart that we need to have. That's the heart that we should approach this place. That's what the gospel does. It frees us from all the other junk. Whether it's too loud, not loud enough, whether it's this song we like or this song we don't like, whether it's, it frees us from that ridiculous junk. No, I'm here for one and one only. Man, he has pursued me, he has wanted me, and church, the reality is we all wanna be wanted. I guess maybe the most encouraging thing or the most, the thing I could say to you this morning is this, let him catch you. Let him have you this morning. Man, there's freedom in that. So that's our heart in this place. And why are you here? Because there'll come a point where you'll hear the gospel so much that you won't hear the gospel. If you're playing the game or if you're just, this is the thing you do on Sunday because this is the thing you do on Sunday, man, you, I'm telling you, there will come a time where God says, fine. You want that? You can have that. But hear me. If you're coming to impress someone, I'm thinking there's a lot of other cooler places that I could go that would have a much better effect on that than coming here to try and impress somebody. So if your heart and your reason is not for that of Jesus, then you need to check yourself because either one, you're living in sin, you're lost, or you've just become so familiar with the gospel that it doesn't stir anymore, that it doesn't cause that, that, that conviction. It doesn't give you that gracious feeling of guilt when we rebel, when we sin. And so I believe that both promises of God's patience as well as his warning of his judgment are just words of mercy and grace. And they need to move us to action. They need to move us to action in our personal life as well as in uh, our life outside of this place with being intentional and pleading with the lost world. So for the remainder of our time together, what I wanna do is this, is I just wanna point back to, to the points that Stephen makes as he shows and points to God's uh, patience and his mercy. Look at, look at verse uh, two of, of chapter seven, and Stephen says this. He says, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to your father Abraham when, when he was, excuse me, Mesopotamia before he uh, lived in Haran and, and said to him, go from your land and, to the, uh, and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. And then look at what happens in verse four. Abraham makes it about halfway to the promised land. And then what he does is he just kind of nestles down and settles in Haran. But God is so merciful even in that. You know, like half obedience is not obedience. Half obedience is still complete rebellion, complete disobedience. That's what, that's what half obedience is. So half obedience is never like pat yourself on the shoulder, you halfway did it. No, there is no halfway with God. It's all the way or no way. It's either uh, half, half obedience is still full sin in the eyes of God. And so, uh, but, but look at what he does. God is still merciful and he does more than just merely tell Abraham, hey, go to the promised land, buddy. Just get over there. You can do it. And he does so much more than that. He actually moves Abraham. He exerts some special power in Abraham. Look at verse four. It says, then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. So God's mercy begins with choosing Abraham. God chooses Abraham. And what we know about Abraham, Abraham lived amongst a people that, that worshiped the, the God of the moon. I mean, he was a moon worshiper. That's what we know about Abraham. And for whatever reason, God chooses Abraham and, and calls him out to be this great, mighty man of God. And God's gonna build this nation, this people. And so God's patience begins with giving Abraham an extra push to get all the way to the promised land when he had settled for just halfway. 
And so then Stephen goes on and he talks about Joseph and Joseph is one of Abraham's great grandsons and he comes to Egypt from the promised land. Acts 7, 9 tells us this. And the patriarchs jealous of Joseph sold him into Egypt, but God was with him. But God was with him. We know the story of Joseph. His brothers couldn't stand him. The little weasel, we'll get rid of him. Let's kill him. But one of the brothers, thank God, one of the brothers had enough sense to say, no, no, we're not gonna do that. Let's just throw him in that. Let's just throw him in the whale. Which I mean, how does that, if you throw me in the whale and leave me there, I'm gonna die, right? That usually is what happens. Like I'm not a MacGyver and I can't get out, so I'm stuck and I'm gonna die. But no, no, that's not, that's not God's plan. See, when, when, when God's got a plan, he's gonna, he's gonna live out that plan. He's gonna do something with that plan. So what happens, there's this group coming by and they end up selling him into slavery. They sell him as a slave is what they do. And so here's another instance of resisting the will of God. His brothers, his people, they were jealous that God was speaking to them through Joseph and even implying that one day they may honor Joseph as their superior. So they get frustrated. Look at how it finishes in 7, 9. It says, but God was with him and rescued him out of all of his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. So those there's jealousy and resistance of the patriarchs, of these men. God was patient and he's merciful. He kept working for the deliverance of Joseph, for deliverance of his people. God was just setting things up. God used that horrific moment, that horrific time in Joseph's life as he's sold into slavery to place him and put him before Pharaoh where Joseph can be used by God to rescue and redeem a people. See, God's moving and God's doing stuff behind the scenes that we're not even aware of half the time. And if we can just hang in there long enough to get where God wants to take us, then we'll be able to see what God was doing behind the scenes. Then we'll be able to see so we see that happen in Joseph's life. They rejected God's word in Joseph's dreams. But God, instead of him judging them, he used their sin to bring rescue to them. When they ran out of food and water and they needed supplies, what do they do? They come begging to Egypt and to their brother that they hated. And they didn't even recognize that that was their brother. And God used him in a way to rescue. God used him in a way to rescue and I'm sure the council of Stephen's before them, they're not thinking of it in that way. They're not thinking of it like, yeah, he tells us history. Let us boast and brag for a minute about how great we are as, as the people, as, these, as the people of God. So then Stephen goes on and he talks about Moses. And so God raises Moses up to do what? To deliver his people, his oppressed people from Egypt. But when Moses makes his appearance to, to help his people, what happened? They resist him just like they did Joseph. God's people resist him. See, in verse 26, he tries to break up this fight between the two Israelites, but look at what happens in 27 as Stephen just quotes uh, over in the book of Exodus, and he says, but the man who was wrong, wronging his neighbor thrust him aside saying, who made you ruler and judge over us? What do they do? They reject their deliverer as, did, as they did with Joseph and, and as they will do with Jesus. And so what does Moses do? He flees to the land of Midian. But they're God's patience and mercy. What do they do? They move Moses back again, don't they? As God calls him back. Acts 7.34 says it like this. It says, I have surely seen the afflictions of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning. This is God talking. And I have come down to deliver them. And now come and I will send you to Egypt. That's what God tells Moses. I've got a plan and a purpose for you, man. You've got to get with it. Let's go. 
So in verse 36, we see Moses, the rejected ruler and deliverer, doing what? Saving his people. This man led them out is what 36 says. Doing what? Performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. God uses him to deliver his people, to get them out of Egypt, to rescue and redeem them. Why? Because he heard the cries of his people. And God's got a bigger plan to preserve and rescue. There's a land they're going to. If they'll just submit, obey, listen, and follow. Love God, pursue him. And he's got a plan for them. But in spite of all of his patience, look, look at what happens in verse 39. Now we get to the golden calf issue. Verse 39 says, this is, our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us from the land of Egypt, we do not know what, what has become of him. Verse 41, so they made a calf in those days and they offered a sacrifice to the idol and they were rejoicing in the work of their hands. That's what they were doing. We don't know what happened to Moses. He went up on that mountain. He may come back. He may not. Let's all chance it. Let's just go ahead and make us another little God. Make us a little, little G God to kind of worship and kind of do some stuff with and we'll, he'll listen to us and do what we, what we want him to do. And so, so that's what we'll do. And so what happens, though, in this story is pivotal at this time for the people of God because God's patience comes to an end at this point. Look at 42 where it says this, and so God turned and gave them over to worship the hosts of heaven. God says, okay, you want a little G-God? I'll give you a little G-God. You want to run after and pursue something like that when you've got a God that's delivered you from the bondage of the Egyptians? A God that provides for you, gives, gives you uh, protection, cloud covering in, in the day and fire by night. I give you food to eat. You're thirsty? Moses, go hit that rock. There, you've got some water. You, you want that God over me, or the only God? That's what you want? So since they reject the true worship of God and want idols made by their own hand, God, God gives them up to that reality. He says, fine, here you go because what we know is behind those idols are namely demons, things that are contrary to God. But even in that, God did not cease to show mercy to them. He hands them over to the desires of their heart. Here, fine, take it, go after it. But he doesn't quit showing mercy. He doesn't quit pursuing. Look at 745. He says, say to the Israelites, dispossess this nation which God thrust out before our father. So hear me, church. So even after the idolatry there in the wilderness, God fought for Israel and gave them the promised land. In spite of themselves, God still goes after them. That's just the story of us. It's our sinfulness, our wickedness, maybe even today in this place. That's, that's our story. And so then he finally gets over to the temple. And he gets to the point of the temple and the, the accusations actually made against him. And he points out that, that Solomon built a, a, a house for God. Solomon did that in 47. But look at what he says about God's house in 48 of Acts 7. He says, yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands as the prophets say. Solomon tried doing that, it didn't work. Our God doesn't dwell in a house. We can't box him in. We can't corner him. We can't do that. And so we get to see the heart of Stephen's warning and message here in this statement. See, the wickedness in so many of Israel was that they got their fulfillment, their meaning, their sense of significance from what they could achieve with their own hands. That's the problem. They didn't want to give up what the control and power they thought that they had. 
That was the issue, that's the problem. Look at what 741 says, it says, and they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. So much like today, they wanted a kind of God and a kind of worship which they could control and they could dictate. That's what they wanted. We, we, link, we link 48 and 41 together there. House made by hands with a, a rejoicing in the work of their hands. They wanted control, they wanted say, which is the reality is this is the sin in everybody's life in this room. It's the sin in every single person's life in this room. One of the greatest struggles I ever had, um, and, and I didn't do this, I never did this until after I was married, was fly. I didn't realize how much I hated to fly. Why, because I'm not in control. I'm back in the plane somewhere, and I don't know what the dude up front's doing. I don't know if he's had a bad day, is him and his wife okay? Like, I don't know, and, and so there's not like, like, they don't give you parachutes when you get on those things. They give you a flotation device under your seat, and we've never been over a body of water. I don't get it, like how's that gonna save me? How's that gonna rescue me? How do I know what that cat's doing up there? You have to trust and hope. Put your trust in, put your trust in that pilot. So I struggled, like I would get really antsy. My wife probably wanted to medicate me, but I, I just, I wouldn't let her. Like I wanna be aware of what's happening, you know? Like don't drug me in the car, like I wanna see it coming if I have to see it. I don't know why, but so, so that happens. And it wasn't until, it wasn't until about like a, the third, third plane trip I've ever taken. Uh, it may have actually been a mission trip. And so we're circling Atlanta and I don't know why we were circling Atlanta because apparently the, the weather was so bad, but then they say we're kind of low on fuel. And I'm thinking, then land the thing, man. I don't find a field something. We've got some gas, let's do something with it. Let's not waste it. And so we're circling and it's kind of in that moment what God does is he reveals in my heart, Scott, if I want you dead, I can kill you anytime I want to. Yes, you can, can't you, God? I don't have to be in a plane for God to take me. I don't have to be in a plane for God to come and get me. And so what, but what God revealed in my heart, what he stirred up in me is the fact that I've got some control issues. We go on a trip, who's driving? Baby, I'll drive, you sit there. One, she scares me, but two, I just like to be in control, you know? Like I like to be, I'm good, I'm control. I see what everybody else is doing. Like I'm, I'm, I'm controlling it, I'm good. I've got the gas and brake right there. I don't get one in the passenger seat, so I'm okay. And so what God did though is he, he stirred up in my heart this reality of, of control in my heart that I struggle with. But it just wasn't in those situations. What he revealed even deeper in me as I followed that out, as I prayed about it, as I walked through it, as I looked in the scriptures, is I don't just struggle with the pilots and I don't just struggle with driving. I struggle with the fact that God is even in control of my life. God, I know what you've done in the past. I know that you, you've got, I sing the songs, I get it. I know that you've got it, yes, amen. Thank you that you're sovereign and in control. And it's so easy to say with your mouth until you have to start living it with your life. And that's what the people here are struggling with. Look at what we've done with our hands. We're in control. See, they got their joy from what they could achieve and not from God. Look at what we've done. Look at, it's just look at what I did mentality. But see, the reality is this, God is the one that deserves all the credit for everything good, and he won't let himself be limited or controlled by anybody's man-made temple or man-made image, and so I don't know what you worship or what you bow down to this morning, but it is so weak and puny if it's not the God of the universe that's created everything and in control of all. So weak and puny, and that's what God revealed in me. Scott, why are you gonna trust yourself over me? I don't need a plane to take you out. Man, you could just go to bed and not wake up tomorrow. Oh, you could just have this little thing happen. I mean, you, you, know, you know how the goofy way people die? 
I mean, you should be eating your food and it, not, and it just choke you. I mean, mac and cheese can take you out, man. I mean, how crazy is that? It's so soft and mushy. God, you wouldn't kill me with mac and cheese, would you? If I need to, I will. Because I know what's best. I'm in control. So God is the one that deserves credit for everything good. He won't let himself be limited. And so the temple in Jerusalem had become for many in Israel a symbol of what they could achieve with their own hands. What they could do, what they could accomplish. I just had a really cool, cool time this week as um, Tyler and I left uh, Sunday, Sunday afternoon a week ago. We left Sunday afternoon and we were uh, getting serious about mission trip stuff coming up for the youth. And um, he's looking... He's looking at going to, to Tennessee and uh, just so happens to be in Kingsport and in Kingsport is my mentor. And so Billy Wayne, he's been here a few times. So I just love this guy. He's an evangelist. And so we got to go and we spent the night with him and spent a lot of time talking with him. And then we went to this other place Monday morning and kind of looked at it. It's this, this camp thing that we look, I don't want to let too much out of the bag and like, but I could go for it. So we went to this camp thing and it's like this summer camp that they're looking to, to get started. And he's got like 12, 13 acres and he's trying to get some things situated and fixed and some building projects and things like that. And so um, as we're, we're looking and talking with him and just hearing this guy talk and then just sitting that night and talking with my mentor, who's an evangelist. And so what, what he said was this, is an evangelist is a guy that just goes around and tells people about Jesus all the time, can get up in their junk and just like really get at them. And so that, that's always just been his personality. And I think one of the reasons why God draws me to him, because I'm kind of like more like, like the little, I'm a little, I'm a little kitty cat, like he's a lion. And so, um, so he just draw me to him for whatever reason, and we just hit it off. And uh, so he's just a guy that's poured into me, into my life. And so sitting there listening to him talk and listening to him share just kind of how his life came about. Like he, he, um, he was an evangelist that can sing, so he can sing contemporary Christian music. And so he would use that for like youth rallies, and kids would come, and he would sing and like suck them in and then share the gospel, and God would just save them save him. I mean, he was just constantly saving. Like God was just moving in, in his gatherings, these youth rallies, these worship times. And just, I mean, there, I mean, I can remember being with him and, and it was nothing for like God to just save 50 kids that night. I mean, he just used Billy's story and the gospel and, and he would just slay a room, God would. And he would just convict hearts and people would come and I could just remember those things and seeing God just moving that. I'm like, that's awesome how God moves just, just in, in the gospel message. And, and so that happens and, um, uh, and so, so he's in Kingsport and we're there. And uh, the cool thing is this is we, he's got a theater now. And so he's, he still travels a little bit, but he puts a lot of his effort and attention in this theater and, and doing dramas and shows to present the gospel and to, 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 to do it that way. And so he's got one coming up for Christmas. He does an Easter one. He does uh, like a judgment house type thing that we've been to a few times. And so he just does all kinds of stuff. And so we're sitting there and just talking with him and listening to him. And, and he says something. I don't know if you caught it. And I don't, I don't want to miss it, but he, he says this. He said this, he says, my prayer has always been that God would do something so big that there is no way that I can get credit for it. Something so unexplainable that it has to be God. He doesn't want his talent or the work of his hands to be something that dictates, oh, look at what, no, no, I want God to do something bigger than what I could ever even dream up or whatever I could even, even do. And so as we're sitting there talking to him, he's got this theater, and so there's property right next to it, and they needed that property. So it's like a downtown front, uh, storefront is what it is. There's like five different shops, and the theater's right there, the second one from the corner, and, and so he wants the building right next to it, but they can't afford it. They can't afford to get it in downtown Kingsport. It's uh, not quite as big as Spartanburg-type um, uh, city, and so town and, and so they're there and 
he just starts to pray and he's got two people to come alongside of him that said, hey, we'll sign to help get this building. And so he's looking for a third and as he begins to pray, um, he shares it one night in, in one of their gatherings and, and after this sweet, sweet, sweet little lady comes up to him and, um, and she says, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go on a list. And he's like, this is, this is so cute because she's the one that cleans their toilets. Like she comes and she serves in the ministry to clean their toilets. And, and, and he's like, okay, okay, yeah. And so she gives him the information. He takes it to the bank and he gives it to the bank and uh, they get it to her and she comes to him a little, little while later and says, look, like I, I, I just can't do it. And he's like, of course you probably can't do it. You, probably, you gotta have money to be able to sign for a loan like that. And so, so this whole thing's happening and he's telling us about this and, and he's like, well, it's probably because you don't have money is what he's thinking in his head. And she's like, well, the reason why I can't do it is because I just don't agree with the terms that the bank's coming up with. And he's like, do what? So what that means is she's got the money to do it. And she's like, yeah, we just, we just can't, I just, this crazy and I just don't agree with it. And she's like, so what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna buy the building and give it to you. <laughs> Holy cow, you know? And I'm just like, so she's, she's like, but you can just kind of pay me back as you go. Like if you need to miss a payment for like three years, you can or two, well, however, like you just, you just do your thing. For whatever reason, God has blessed me with having this money as he's blessed me with having this money from my family that's come down through the family that I didn't even know I was gonna get and God bless, I wanna do something with it. So she's like, you know what I've been doing? I've been watching you for the last year and I've just been seeing God do some things in you and through you. And he's like, so what, so what I want to do, well, she said, what I want to do is this, I just want to, I just want to give you that. So you, I see what you're doing in these kids' lives and this community. And so that happens. And then guess what? It's not long ago that I think he told us that uh, somebody on the corner, so he's got not the first building, but the second building and the third building. And then there's an empty building or a building that's got like a storefront in it. And then there's a, a building at the end. And the guy's like, I want to retire. I just want to give you this building. I've got the lease up through, um, through like 2025. And I just want you to have this building Put a coffee shop in there. So what he's doing is he's renting it out to somebody to be able to put a coffee shop in there just so he can kind of have a presence there. He didn't want to give it up. They just can't do it right now, but he can kind of go down there and he can help out somebody. I mean, who give, gives people buildings? And you know why that happens? Because it's not by the work of Billy, my mentor. It's by the work of God. That's what that is. And those are the kind of prayers that he's praying. And so it just convicted me. That needs to be us, church. What about us? That's how we need to be praying. God, give us, we need to be praying and looking where we're gonna plant a church, where we're gonna go, how we're gonna do it, because I don't know if you've noticed, but we don't got a lot of space here to keep going. And that was done by design. Why? Because we wanna go into our community, into our world. We don't wanna build a mega something here. We wanna put a lot of little somethings out there so we can go and impact other communities. And so we need to be praying, God, what land, I'm gonna be crazy. God, what property are you gonna give us? We don't want to pay for it. We want you to give it to us because God's big enough in his account. I don't know how uh, uh, aware of it you are, but the guy that just won the mega millions, whatever, 300 and something billion, whatever, trillion million, whatever it was, God's is, God makes that bank account look puny today. And so that's what I want us. I want us to be crazy like that. Let's pray some crazy stuff and allow God by the work of his hands, not our hands, do some stuff in this place. So that's what I want us to be about, Church. It needs to be one of those things as Eric and the guys come back up that it's not us. It's nothing that we did here. It's all because God is gracious, he's loving, he's patient, he's full of his glory. So Stephen being a man full of the Holy Spirit, being full of faith, he didn't look at the achievements of his own hands or the performance of, of his own power. He looked to God in faith. That's what he did. He looked to God in faith. He relied on the Holy Spirit for power so it was God getting the glory, not him. Oh, Stephen, yeah, whatever, but it's God. 
old, new life, whatever, but God, look at what God has done. So to close in this place, I wanna ask, I wanna ask that of us in this place this morning, to be praying those crazy prayers. Man, man, to be asking God to do something crazy, so big, so unexplainable that, that we can't take any credit for it. You mean you've got that property? God give you that prop. God give you that building? God did that? That needs to be our heart and our prayer in this church. God, we want, to reach, we want that community? We want to reach that community? We want to go to that place? Or we want to give that? You mean you did five projects this, this time? What if we do 10 next, next time? What if we do 15? What if we say we have 40, we have 140 participate? I mean, can you imagine what will happen in this community if, if word gets out that we're those people? Man, man this, God will move in a mighty way if we just live like the early church lived, if we'll just do like the early church, if we will get out of our own way and not try to brag or build us up, but we build the God of the universe up and it's by his hands, it's by his doing. If we'll just get out of the way and let him go. So my question is, what are you believing in? What are you praying for? So this week as I thought about this, this week as I'm like, okay, God, what can we pray about and ask you to move and do in this place? Your hands, not ours, your hands. And so yeah, we wanna be a church that plants churches. I don't know what that'll look like. I don't know when that's gonna happen. I know, I know this, we're praying right now for 280 people. We're around about the 250 mark right now. And so we're praying for about 280 because at 280, our hand has been forced. We gotta figure out something to do. We need more seats, we need more space, we need two services, we need something. And so we're working on some stuff. We're praying on some stuff. We just had a trustees meeting the other day and we're, we're praying about that. And we're like, okay, God, what, what is it? What's that gonna look like? What does that mean? I mean, 280 is a great problem. But again, as Bill says, a problem is a problem. No matter how good it is, it still needs to be figured out and solved. And so we want those problems to be praying through that, figuring out, okay, what does that look like? What does that mean? We wanna be a church that plants churches. So the whole goal is this. And I don't know what this looks like, what this means, but you need to be praying because I'm gonna ask God to take about 50 to 80 to 100 people from this place when we get to a certain number. And I want you to go and I want you to take what we've got here and spread the gospel somewhere else as we become new life here and there. Can you imagine what that'll be like? The fact that we get to go take the gospel to a place that needs it be a church at a place that needs it. Be at another location. And then I just started to get crazy because I think God likes crazy. Why did he call me to ministry, right? He loves crazy. So crazy, I get crazy and I'm like, I don't wanna just plant churches here. You know what I wanna do? You know what my prayer is down the road is I want us to find a missionary in another country and I want there to be a new life in another country. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth is what this thing is about, Acts 1-8, right? That's what we started with, to the ends of the earth. So where's the ends of the earth for us? It's not South Carolina, church. Oh, that's puny, weak little dreams and prayers. No, no, we, we want big, crazy stuff. So we want to find somebody that we can partner with in another country. What, what about China? China's a closed country. God, would you give us China? India, Nepal, Guatemala, Mexico? But it's not safe there. You realize that there's not a safe place in the planet, Right? God's in control, and the reason why we're safe and okay is because we're in him, not, not because police or governments got us, but because God holds us in his hands. So I don't care how crazy, how uns... God will take care of that. And what I've learned is I can't die until God's ready for me. And so I'm just believing it's not right now that there's another day coming, and so I'm just gonna keep walking until... He'll let me know when it's my time. That's what I found out. He'll let me know. He'll let all of y'all know too. Why? Because I won't be here. I'll be with him. So we, I, just, I just want us to pray like that. God, where do you want to send us? What do you want to do in us and with us and through us? 
Let's, let's don't be small anymore. Let's don't think small. Let's, let's think God-sized type stuff. We want that building. We want that property. We want that country is what we want. And so as a church, unless we get on our face, unless we seek God, unless we get ourselves out of the mix, give God room to work and do by the power of his hand, not ours. So would you join me in praying? I don't even know what we're praying for, but we're just praying for God to do some God-sized type stuff in this place, outside of this place, even in other countries. And I know the thought is this goofy, crazy little guy up there. That's, that's cute, bless his little heart. Well, pray for him. Yes, pray for me. And pray that we partner with God to reach this world. That's what we wanna do. And that's our plan is to plant churches. Why? Because the church is the only thing that's gonna stand the test of time. That's what the scripture teaches. And so we wanna be the church in this world. We wanna be the church like we read about and we see here in the book of Acts. So Stephen was a man that was serious about God, not at the work of his own hands, but the work of God. And the council at the time, they got their eyes off of, of, off of God and put it on themselves and look at what we can do. And hear me, there'll come a point where if God says, you wanna see what you can do, good luck with it. And I'm praying that God will not let us be that place. As your pastor, I'm gonna lead through that the best I can and push back where we need to push back and encourage where we need to encourage. But church, I wanna ask you, I wanna challenge you to pray with me over the next, and that's the cool thing, there's not a time limit. We just pray, God will let us know, he'll show us. He will let us know when it starts to get too cramped in here, won't he? He will let us know when, it, when we need to go somewhere. He will let us know. So we're just gonna press in in him to give us wisdom and guidance. So I'm gonna ask this morning as we close, as they lead us in worship, if you'll just pray, and I don't even know what that prayer looks like or what that means, but you just pray that God does something God-sized in the life of, of, of uh, new life. He's already done that. I mean, the thing, we're a church that's 12 years old and we go from 60 to 250. Most churches don't make it past one year. And look at the facility and the stuff that we've got that God has blessed us with. And God is here and amongst us and we're gonna continue to pray those prayers. God, love you, Lord. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity. Jesus, help us not to box you in, but God, to ask you to do a mighty, mighty work. God, we wanna plant churches in other countries. We wanna partner with missionaries there. We wanna take mission trips and send people. God, you may even send somebody in this church. You may send me. I don't know. God, we just want to be open to whatever it is that you're going to ask and do in this place. And we want to get out of the way. And we want to quit praying small prayers that we can do ourselves. But we want you to step in and do a mighty work. Jesus, thank you for your message. Thank you for your word. Do work in this place. Let me pray. Amen. You respond as God leads. They're going to sing. If you need to come pray, what if, you, if you need somebody to talk to, whatever I can do to encourage you, love on you, but you be obedient to God's leading this morning.